uh, within the scripture, particularly the Old Testament. And the Bible tells us that he was given as an example unto the people. And so one of the things we're going to see in the life of David is how he, God you literally presented him as an example. And you're going to see that he was human, just like you. He was better in some ways and worse in others. But you're going to see a full spectrum of this guy's life. And so it's a, he's an important figure. Jerusalem is called the city of David. Jesus is called the son of David. So if you want to look how the scripture references, his life is important and he's referenced over and over and over um, through the Bible. So he's definitely worth the study. Um, what's happening here, we're going through, it's, the life of David is found primarily in the book of First and Second Samuel. First and Second Kings, uh, we were doing Elisha and Elijah, but those four books, they read like a narrative. So if you're, uh, make sure my zipper's up. Put that on audio. Yeah. Anyway, I was like, wait a minute here. Am I feeling a draft? What's going on? Sorry. <laughs> I verbally process. So if you ever want to know what I'm thinking, it's going to come out. It just, it just comes out. So anyway, uh, so th those books read like a narrative. So they're, they're very easy to follow. They read like a story. So if you want to read about the life of David, first and second Samuel, you can read those and uh, they're, they're worth the read. Uh, for sure. And what's happening here in Samuel is there's a period of transition that's going on. God had been working with his people and he had always set a leader over his people, but the leader was never over his people in a dominating way. God's way of leadership was to set a leader over his people to lead them and guide them, but to serve them. See, we see it with Moses, we see it with the prophets, we see it with the judges. God's mode of leadership among his people was to appoint a leader, give him authority, but the role of that leader was to serve. Okay? Jesus comes and he says, I am among you as one who serves. I come not to be served, but to serve. So that's the model of biblical leadership. The problem is, people don't tend to like that. We, we tend to gravitate towards bondage. We got to have somebody knocking us around and controlling us and putting rules and regulations on us or we just don't feel safe. We don't feel, we don't feel safe in freedom a lot of times. And so what's happening here is there's a period of transition. The people are tired of God leading them this way. They're tired of God being, you know, we're tired of servant leadership. We want somebody on the throne that's going to kick our butt. We want somebody to lead us and talk down to us and take everything from us and make it all about him. That's what we want. And so the people go to Samuel and they reject Samuel. They say, we're tired of your leadership. We're tired of the way things are. We want a king. And everybody say this with me. Just like everybody else. Well, there's the fatal flaw. God's people are not just like everybody else. We operate according to a different system, a different line of thinking, and we are rulership or under the dominion of a different government. Our government is the government of heaven. We are not citizens of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the kingdom. We operate, live by, and live out a totally different deal. And so they reject the Lord. They reject Samuel. Samuel takes it really hard. And the Lord says to him, Samuel, give them what they want. They want bondage? Give it to them. They want, they want to be dominated. They want, you know, papicito rolling them. That's what they want. They want to come under a yoke of legalism. They want to come under a yoke of religion. They want to come under a yoke of bondage. Then give them what they want. Because he tells Samuel, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me. You see, God's a God of liberty. I don't know if you know that or not. He's, I got nobody in the room who wants to agree with me on that. Jesus, God is a God of liberty. For freedom's sake, he makes you free. And whom the sun sets free is Exactly. He's a God of liberty. He's not a God of, dom of dominance. He doesn't bring you to himself to bring and make you, you know, do all the little things. It's not about that. It's not about this earning and, oh, I'm under bondage and uh, my life is completely controlled. No, Jesus liberates you to the uttermost. He frees you in the spirit. He free is desirous to free you. And the freedom in the spirit comes through the confession of Christ. The freedom in the emotions is when we start working out our junk. And the freedom that, that comes out in our body and in our life comes through the, the liberty that we experience in the other regions. But God is a God of liberty. These people wanted to be like everybody else. Well, we're not like everybody else. Jesus said, I pray that you do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them, deliver them, destroy the power of the evil one, for they are not of this world. Say this with me. I am not of this world. You are not. That's why you feel so out of place. 
You come to Christ and all of a sudden you're like, oh, and I don't know, man. The things that I used to like, I don't like. The places I used to want to go, I don't want to go. The people I used to want to hang out with, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. Because you've been born again. You've born, been born out of and born into. That's normal. The goal is not to keep trying to go back to what you were. The goal is to move into who you now are. And then you experience something new, something entirely different that you have never experienced before. They wanted to be like everybody else, but we're not. Sanctify them. Set them apart with truth. We are set apart by truth. We follow truth. We pursue truth. We're all about truth. Jesus is truth. Your word and his word. Jesus is the word and the word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. So we see this whole kind of thing. We're not of this world. We're set apart by truth and we are sent. We are apostolos. That's the Greek word. Sent ones. You're all apostles. Did you know that? Like, oh, I don't know. There's only, you know, yeah, that's, that's a high title, Kevin. You're, we are an apostolic people. There are apostolic leaders, but there is an apostolic, what's called an apostolic ethos, which is an apostolic movement. The word apostle simply means sent. That's all it means. Apostolos means sent. That's what that word is right there. You are apostolos. You are sent to do what? To bring his world into ours. To take the nature of his world to make the earth bring heaven to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's our role. And people go, what does that look like? That's a whole teaching. But that's a whole understanding. But that's a question you can even ask God. What does that look like? How do I do that? What does that look like? Just start communing with him on that and let him show you some things. The people had left the truth. They decided to go a different way. We see it even in the New Testament. We have a church of Galatia. Paul starts this church. Great amount of miracles. Great power in this church. One of the highest teaching churches in the New Testament. But they went away from the spirit and went into legalism. That's a problem. It's not the word, it's the word in the spirit. The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's why when people teach the word of God, it's a sword, right? I can cut the binds off of you. I can trim your hair a little bit and get you nice and free and, you know, shave all the shales off your body and, you know, do a little surgery with you. Or I can hack you to pieces. The word of God is a sword. You understand that? And you wield it too. And you can wield it to where you wound people or you can wield it to where you give life. The letter kills. The law or the word without the spirit, without the power, the love, the grace of the spirit kills people. Can I get a witness? Some of you have been executed by the word of God. If you walk with churches long enough and you go in certain environments and you go with certain denominations and certain groups, they will kill you sooner than later. They will run you through. <laughs> Cut your head off, crucify you, kill you, all of that stuff. Some people like the abuse, you know. As for me and my house, I don't want the, I want freedom. I want the glory. But the word will kill. And he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should leave the truth? So what's happening here is the people are drifting from their identity. They're drifting from their purpose. And they want to come under bondage when God has set them free. And he says, they want bondage. I'm sick of hearing it. I'm tired of it. Is that what you want? You want bondage? You can have it. And God gave them bondage so that they would experience what it was like now to be under bondage. It's crazy. And he said, who has bewitched you? What a bewitching spirit is, is a spirit of manipulation, control, and it's a seduction to believe lies. They began to be seduced to believe lies. Same thing was happening in Galatia. Paul's teaching them about liberty. Paul's teaching about his sonship. Paul's teaching them about inheritance. And they had Judaizers coming in and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, here's what we got to do. Women, you don't wear makeup. Men, you need to wear a suit high and tight. This is what you need to do. You need to call me father because I'm now the leader of the church. You need to bow to me and do everything that I say. They brought legalism, dominance, and control into the church. And they subjected the people unto men and not unto God. You are subjected to me in my leadership only because of the anointing that's on me. My responsibility is to serve you, not dominate you. My responsibility is to come beneath you and elevate you, not manipulate you, and not control you. Do you understand that? Big difference. Big difference. Yet, this is where people want to go. You know, we want, we, we have to have some system of control. I had a lady come to me one time. She said, there's too much grace in this church, Kevin. No, I'm not lying. She sits me down, very articulate woman, super educated, very smart, spoke really clear. And she just told me all the problems that she has. And I was listening to her. 
Some of it was doctrine from things, and I said, well, you know, all of this. But then she looks at me and she goes, you see, I'm a legalist by nature. And she goes, I like rules. And there's not a lot of rules here. This is what she told me. And I said, well, there's a simple rule. Honor Jesus, right? Honor the Lord. You know, Jesus gave, they gave ten commandments. The rabbis ended up giving six, six hundred. Jesus gives two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was what he said. Upon these hang everything. But somehow we like the 600 rules. We like the legalism. We like to pretend. We like the, uh, the, the hypocrisy of a religious facade. Because we get to hide all of our junk and we, nobody gets to see our vulnerabilities. Nobody gets to see the issues that we really carry because we're hidden behind religious masks. Oh, bless God. Hallelujah, brother. How are you doing? Thank God I'm sanctified with the blood of Jesus. I want to shake them and go, talk to me, man. <laughs> we hide behind it. We hide behind religious masks and facades. That's not how you talk on Monday. So why is that the way you talk on Sunday? That's not how you talk to your boss. Bless God, hallelujah, brother. <laughs> the glory of God just fell down on that contract. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're not walking through the, through the, and I'm all about praising God in sincerity. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not coming against praising the Lord in sincerity. The problem is, is that we're not praising him in sincerity. We're praising him on pretense. We're praising him for show, you know, honor God, praise the Lord, weep, cry, shout, sing, dance, but make sure it's sincere. Let it be from the sincerity of your heart. And they were manipulated, seduced. They began to believe lies. That's a seducing spirit. It is a witchcraft spirit. Witchcraft spirits are not to be, you cannot make contracts with them. You cannot make covenants with them. You cannot make agreements with them. They will, they will do one thing and one thing only, and that is dominate. That's what happens. Witchcraft spirits have to be met head on. Rebellion, manipulation, control, lies, disbelief. It has to be met head on. Head on. They were given what they wanted. I've had many instances with witchcraft over the years. <laughs> Being in Miami where there's witchcraft all over the place, you confront many witchcraft spirits in many forms. And it is not one that will be reasoned with. So when you give yourself to yokes of bondage, when you give yourself to lies, disbeliefs, and allow yourself to be seduced out in different ways, one of the products of witchcraft is destruction. If there's a pattern of destruction in your life. Somewhere there's witchcraft. Somewhere, just going to tell you, there's witchcraft. Destruction is always linked to witchcraft. Exodus tells us that the penalty of witchcraft is destruction. And the devil seizes that as a right. And he goes, oh, I get to destroy anyone that I can get to partner with witchcraft directly, indirectly. You don't have to like, you know, do Santeria to practice witchcraft, people. Just a thought. Anyway, they were given what they wanted. Next slide. They were given Saul. Here's Saul's problem, right? And here's the deal. We talked about this last week. Could it be that we cannot take our rightful position? Saul could not take his rightful position. Saul could not walk out what God had intended for him. And one of the main reasons is because Saul couldn't follow a simple set of directions. Right? Some of you, your teachers. Some of you, your bosses. Some of you, you work in environments. And is it not frustrating when someone around you cannot follow a simple set of instructions? I told you to be here at 6.15. Every time I tell you to be here at 6.15, you show up at 7. Can you follow a simple set of instructions? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is Paul, Saul's problem. He, God gave him simple instructions, and Saul just could not bring himself to follow simple instructions. He had better ideas. He had an ego. God told him, I want you to get rid of the Amalekites. I want nothing to do with them. I want them gone. These people have been a plague to my people forever, and I want them gone, everyone. And Saul goes, ah, I got a better idea. I don't think we really need to do that. You know, or I don't need to do everything God told me. I did 80% of it. That's close enough, right? He didn't do everything. Then he has a vanity. He has up on Gilgal. And so the Lord lets that, that Lord kind of goes, okay. Then he sends him to a mountain and says, I want you to give an offer. I want you to go to the mountain and tell Saul to go to the mountain. He's to stand on the mountain, Gilgal, 
with an altar, and Saul's to stand there by himself, and he is to wait for you, Samuel, until you show up and you're going to give an offering to me before the people. But I want Saul to simply stand there and wait for you. And he couldn't do that. The evening started to get into play. The people were kind of getting weary. And Saul's like, man, I'm looking bad here. You know, where's Samuel? This show's supposed to start. These people look at me. I'm looking like a fool standing up here by myself. That's what he did. He's vanity. He didn't stand there and wait because the Lord told him to. He, he was so worried about what everybody else thought of him. He was worried about he, how he looked. He was worried about, oh my gosh, the, 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 the bloggers are here and they're writing a blog about me. Saul stands up there by himself looking like an idiot. Somebody's saying something about me. Everybody's talking about me. I better do something. And Saul took matters into his own hands. And Samuel shows up at just the right time and says, what have you done? And he says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? Behold. Everybody say it with me. Behold. Behold. Say it with me. Come on. It's going it's, it's to do you some good right here. Behold. Behold. To obey, obey is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. And so Saul took matters into his own hands and he heeded. And so here he goes, there's our word again, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Oh my gosh. So we want to talk about witchcraft and we want to talk about idolatry. Well, you don't have to bow down to Buddha to be an idol worshiper. You don't have to do Santeria or voodoo to, be, to practice witchcraft. Bible counts it as rebellion, directly against God. You, he's told you something, and you go, no. Now, I'm not talking about something you struggle with. I'm talking about an intentional and direct no. I'm not talking about something that goes in relationship. You know, some, sometimes this stuff works out in relationship where you're struggling with what he's told you, but you're in relationship with him. You know, I've done that many times, and that's not necessarily rebellion to struggle with what God's saying. You're like, well, I kind of want to, but I don't know how to do this, so I'm not really sure. And so you're hesitant. That's not rebellion. Rebellion is when God says, I want you to do this. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. No, nope, I'm not doing it. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances am I doing that. No. That's rebellion. And it's witchcraft. And you've been seduced. And where did Jonah go? He got led away. That's what happens. When we rebel, somehow we end up away. And here's idolatry. is the iniquity of idolatry. Stubbornness. He just wouldn't do it. And it wasn't an issue of willingness on his part. He wasn't like, yeah, I'm willing, Lord, but I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Say this with me. Ignorance is not the issue. Arrogance is the issue. God has no problem with ignorance. He doesn't have a problem if you don't know what you're doing. He has no problem with it at all. He actually celebrates it. He's like, hey, you don't know what he's doing. That's great. What he has an issue with is arrogance. Hard hearts, absolutely not. And he'll bear with it for a time, but until, and that's what he did with Saul. He bared with it for a time, but Saul just kept going there. And the Lord's like, I can't work with this. I can't work with this. I can't, I can't give this guy a decree and then have to flip a coin wondering whether or not he's going to do what I asked him to. There's more on the line here. My, the nation is on the line. The people are on the line. There's a greater picture here than just you, Saul, and you can't seem to dial into that. He couldn't follow a simple set of instructions. Guys, if you want the high place and you want rulership and you want dominion and you want power, let me give you a real easy solution. Start with obedience. Start there. Obedience is the basis of the gospel. It's not the high level, but it is the basis. It's the default system of the program. It's the DOS. It's the operating system beneath the system. Obedience is there. The higher calling of discipleship is relationship. But when, you're, when in doubt, obey. When in doubt, honor him. That's the re you see, you know, even if you're not feeling like it and all the programs aren't working and you don't know what to do, we'll go to default and say, well, I just need to obey the Lord. Even if everything isn't clear, I need to obey what I already know. You understand? That's, that's it. That's one of the things that keeps us from dominion. We see it clearly with Saul. God wants you to have the kingdom. He wants you to walk in dominion. He wants you to walk in rulership. He wants you to do all this stuff. But Saul couldn't get there. And he struggled. He struggled with basic things. Simple instructions. If you can't run with a footman, how will you contend with the horses? If you can't do the basics, how in the world? You, can, you can't do remedial math. You hear me say it all the time. You don't know that one plus one equals two, and you can't figure that out, but you want to send a rocket to the moon. You're not getting there. You know, a lot of people have dreams, hopes, desires, and some of them have them in the Lord. A lot of people think they need to fulfill them out of the Lord. All of your dreams, hopes, and desires will be fulfilled in the Lord, never apart from him.
And so you need to bring that into his subjection. And then when you want that to happen, then you need to learn to follow a simple set of instructions. Do what he said. Learn remedial math. Yeah, but it's boring. Well, we all know it's boring. Primary colors are boring. You understand? It's, it's all boring. But the boring, the mundane, is what leads us to the great. If we do not do the mundane, God watches. The Lord, El Roy, he is the God who sees. He is watching. He sees. Over and over again, he calls and he watches. I'm looking, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm watching, I'm looking, I'm watching. And he sees how we are. If we, like, and that's how he finds David. David is chosen. This is exactly how it happened. Honor the Lord above all else. He said, here's a man who's after my heart. He wants my heart. He will honor my heart more than he'll honor himself. He'll honor my heart more than he'll honor the wishes, the hopes, the dreams, the desires, the wants, the pressures, the culture. He will honor me in spite of everything. And this is the guy that I want to lead, want to lead me, want to lead my people. And so the house of Jesse. So you see the kind of people that God wants to lead his house, people that pursue his heart, not people that are after their own self-interests or people that take it as a job, you know? I just come from a group of pastors this week, and it was a nice, great meeting. But a lot of times in those environments, you have to tell them, are you a hireling? Are you doing this just for a job? Or is this a calling? Is this a mission? Is this a mandate? Is your honor before the Lord? Is your honor before the people? And there's a lot of pastors that do it just as a job. Or they do it for ego, or they do it for their own vanity. Nothing wrong with a little bit of ego, nothing wrong with a little bit of vanity, nothing wrong with a little bit of, you know, of provision, but that is not the essence of the compiling. All of that stuff is what's added to the issue. You know what I'm saying? And so there are people that want to do it for notoriety. There are people that want to do it for money. And it's like, okay, but if you will honor God, seek first the kingdom, then all things will be there. But that, that all things must be subjected to the Lord's honor. Am I clear on that? It's true. So he goes to Jesse at the house of Bethlehem. Next slide. Bethlehem was a little town six miles outside of Jerusalem. The, the people were required to offer lambs as sacrifices, and it was in Bethlehem that they raised the sacrificial lambs. The temple lambs were raised in Bethlehem. And Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. The temple lamb. The lamb of sacrifice. It was not arbitrary that he was born in Bethlehem, people. God didn't just go, hmm, let me see. Well, Bethlehem looks like a quiet little town. Let's just go there. You know, he was born in Bethlehem because it was the house where the sacrificial lambs were raised. And he went to the house of bread, and Jesus is the bread of life. So he comes forth from the house of bread, the bread of life. He comes forth as the sacrificial lamb from the house where they raised the lambs. That's why David's a shepherd in Bethlehem, because they're raising sheep there. Okay, so his father was probably a merchant and a trader of sheep, because that's what David was involved in, raising his father's sheep. He clearly had a lot of money because he had a lot of other sons, and the only one that was working was David. The rest of them were chilling out, hanging out by the pool, wearing a little Versace, you know what I'm saying? Flossing the rims on their car, rolling with dad's coin, right? And David was the only one that took his inheritance seriously. He was the only one that genuinely stewarded what was given to him. And you wonder why the Lord saw him? The Lord saw him. Nobody noticed him. His dad didn't see him. He was forgotten by his father. His dad's like, don't you have another, Sammy goes, don't you have another son? And Jesse goes, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, dude, where, where's David? Oh yeah, he's out in the field. Yeah, there's another son around here somewhere. Can't even remember where he is. Oh, he's out in the field. His dad, he wasn't even, he wasn't even a thought to his father. And David would write later, if my father forgets me and my mother forsakes me, yet you, Lord, will not. Why did he write that? Because his father had forgotten him and his mother had forsaken him. His mother probably had passed away. And he had been forsaken by his mother and forgotten by his father. But the Lord, he said, but you, Lord, will not. He wrote that, not as a poem. He wrote that because that was the reality of his experience. He'd experienced that. You could be forgotten by men, but remembered by God. And I'm telling you, it's a lot better to be remembered by God Amen. than it is to be forgotten by men. Amen. Who cares? He was disrespected. He was outcast. They didn't even want him in the house. And the word is his father couldn't even look at him. Because the story is, he heard me share it. He's like, they believe that his mother died in childbirth. David was the last son. His mother's not mentioned. His father has some level of disdain for him, clearly. His father doesn't like him, clearly. Doesn't that he doesn't love him, but he just couldn't even look at him. Because every time he looked at him, he probably would remember his wife. Oh, yeah, she died giving birth to you. Past the chicken, you know. It was hard for him to look at that. It was a bad memory for him. 
And so his dad sent him to the back side of the field. Very human response, right? Something we see very common. That's like, what's going on here? And he brings him in. He was forgotten, disrespected, and outcast. But say this, David, David honored, honored the Lord. Lord. Come on. When nobody, when nobody was looking. Nobody was looking, but David honored the Lord. That's the key. He kept and defended the sheep. He took his inheritance seriously. He honored what was rightfully his. He was the heir to his father's house. He had an inheritance, and he was the only one actually stewarding his inheritance. His brothers weren't stewarding his inheritance. They were spending it. There's nothing wrong with spending your inheritance. Spend it. Jesus wants you to spend it. (laughs) But steward it too. Okay? So they had to spend the inheritance thing down, but they didn't have the stewardship down. And so God's like, well, I not only need somebody who knows how to spend their inheritance, I need some people that know how to steward it. And it says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, 2 Chronicles, throughout the whole earth. To do what? To show himself strong to those whose hearts are his. God's eye is looking for the one whose heart's loyal to him. His eye is there. His strength is towards those whose hearts belong to him or whose hearts are towards him. David worshipped when no one was looking. That's why we have psalms. David learned to play guitar, harp, out in the backside of the wilderness. He'd sing to the sheep, man. Ring, ring, the wolves howling. Oh, oh, As David would learn to sing before the Lord. Nobody was listening. We don't even know if he sang that well, but we knew he could write music. That's how we got all of the psalms. Because he was in, he was in a relationship. He, that's where you see the big bridge and the big shift. Whereas everybody approached God in religion, David approached him in relationship. That's the same model Jesus gives us. Same exact model. Everybody was approaching God in religion. Jesus comes and says he's father. And that was a mind blower. Well, what do you mean he's father? Jesus tore down the religion, tore down the rules, tore down the regulations and said, come freely. Come to the table. Drink wine without price. Drink bread. It's free. It's on the house. It's on the house. Some of you come to church in the morning, man, you need to just go and receive everything that's here and everything that's in the atmosphere because it's free. It's on the house. It's already paid for. It doesn't cost you anything. Drink deeply. Eat the Father's bread. It's for you. He worshiped when no one was looking. David was anointed three times. Three times in First and Second Samuel. I'm giving you an overview. Next week we're going to start getting into the stories. So David was anointed three times. He was anointed at Bethlehem. At Bethlehem he was given vision, purpose, and direction. Ready? I'm going to show you. God gives it to us right in his word. There is gold within his word. We have to mine it. His ways are in his word. We have to look for it. If you don't look for his ways, it's going to go right over your head. You're just going to read it like a like whatever, and then we're going to start guessing. God has a progressive story, a progressive narrative for his people. He takes David, and he leads him down this path of progress to ultimately bring him to God's desired end, or to give David an opportunity to fulfill the desired end that God had proclaimed. So God comes to him, anoints him at Bethlehem, gives him a vision and a purpose for his life. Okay? This is the first step. Receive the anointing, get a vision and a purpose for your life. You say, I don't know what that is. Well, let's just start with love God and love other people. That's a basic vision, but begin to receive the vision. So God, he gets an anointing upon his life. What is an anointing? It is in the empowerment of God. A lot of churches don't like talking about the anointing. I love to talk about the anointing. The anointing, the anointing, the anointing, the anointing. Okay? <laughs> That's what the word Christian means. It means anointed. Christ, the word Christ, Christos, means anointed. So you can't call yourself a Christian and not understand the anointing. Call yourself a believer or uh, followers of Jesus or whatever the new cultural names are. And I, I've been one who in the past have used these cults, we're, we're, we're followers of the way, or whatever, these people, you know, there's like all this modern terminology, you know, and I've been, I've been one that played around with my, and I felt like the Lord was dealing with me, you're Christians, Kevin! <laughs> and then I realized, wait a minute, we are anointed ones, anointed, favored, smeared, and fragranced by our Father. We are far more than, than, than any of these. Any, any term low is less. Any term we call ourselves is less than being called a Christian. And it's as if the word Christian has become a byword, and even Christians are ashamed to be called Christian. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm anointed in favor of my Father. 
I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. I'm a son of the highest. And so are you, by the way. Who do you say you are? This is who Jesus says you are. He was anointed three times. He was told in that anointing was to be faithful. God anointed him, gave him a vision, and left him where he was. And told him, be faithful where you're at. Oh, there it is. We get a vision and we think we need to just get rid of everything and just run up the hill. God said, no, be faithful where you're at. I want you to continue to be obedient even with the vision on your life. I want you to continue to be obedient even with the anointing on your life. Why? Because that is what will promote you. That is what will promote you. You will not always stay in this, this realm of obedience or where it's simply this. This is the anointing of, of servanthood. You're going to see it really clear. Servant, friend, son. This is where he was a servant. God was going to progress him into where he understood he was a son. So he takes him from, from Bethlehem. He told him to remain hidden. S remain hidden. S add value. Be a, everybody say this. Be a blesser. Not a complainer. Oh, somebody should write that down. That's your. <laughs> I will bless, not complain. I will honor. I was. We were. I don't know where we were. So we were just somewhere, and I said something about a parking garage or something. I don't even know. And I felt like the Lord told me, "Why do you complain against abundance, Kevin?" That's what I felt in my heart. I live in the United States of America. I don't travel on dirt roads. You know what I'm saying? We, we, do, do we realize and we complain? And in the midst of abundance, we're complaining. In the midst of everything we have to everything, of all of this, we can, I'm thinking, I'm complaining because this is inconveniencing me. And I, was just, I looked at Sherry and I said, I, don't, I just felt like the Lord just, was that, you know, it was just this weird moment where I had, I said something. And I was like, what are you complaining about abundance for? And I just was like, thank you, Jesus, for abundance. Thank you, God, that I live in a prosperous country. May I be faithful to receive what has been given to me, and may I be faithful to use what has been given to me. That needs to be your heart. You know, we become complainers, not realizing what we have, and we complain against what's given to us. It's true. I don't care how bad you got it. Somebody said the black plague was worse, and that's true. <laughs> if we don't live in an impoverished country, you don't have to worry about whether the, whether the United States is going to shut your grid off tonight and when it's going to come back on. Some of you come from countries where that's exactly what happens. They have rotating power. Not everybody has power all the time. You have it. You have AC right now. I was in churches in Haiti, and it's in the middle of the summer, and people are fanning themselves. There was no AC. You're in AC. You're sitting in a cushioned chair. You're not sitting on rocks. They sat on rocks. Subject to the weather. It all rained. Everybody stood underneath the tree until the rain went. And when the rain went, everybody went back right down and sat down on the rocks and continued the ministry. We'd be like, well, it's time to go. Get in our luxury automobile and drive away and complain how we're only driving a 216 when we should be driving a 2018. What? We have to, be, we have to honor what we've been given. I'll give you another one somebody told me. <laughs> I'll just give it all to you. <laughs> Said, Kevin, there's, I don't know what the number is. We're going to just throw in, I mean, but, but this, this, don't check this out. But the second part you can check out because it's true. But the first part, I don't know, it was like 7 billion people on the earth, something like that. 7.4. I was close. Right? I was like, it's 7 or it's 9. I know it's somewhere in there. So there's 7 billion people on the earth. You live in the United States of America. I want you to say this with me. I am not, I am not in last place. No matter how I feel, I am not in last place. You understand that? There's 7 billion people on the earth, and you are in the U.S. of A. You are not in last place. The, th the key is to be faithful with what you have, to be grateful for what you have, and to use what you have to move forward. That's the key. You're not going to move forward looking backwards. You can understand the past, but you'll never move forward if, if you live in it. Or if you're living in the moment where you're always complaining about what you don't have. You have to see what is in front of you. What do you have? Next slide. Be a blesser, not a complainer. Hebron, he moves to the next place. And then this is in 2 Samuel. David goes through a really rough period and he ends up in Hebron. And God anoints him at Hebron. Do you know that the word Hebron means friendship? That's what it means. So he goes from servant. Here you go with a vision. Here's your vision, David. But I need you to serve. I need you to serve where you're at. Need you to fulfill these things. Be faithful with, with, the, with the little things. And then he takes him to a place called friendship. And he anoints him with friendship. 
Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Then we have another progression in the New Testament that we are sons and daughters. So there's a progression even in the, even in the New Testament. It's the same progression that's in the Old. You're a son and daughter right now. You're not going to be. David was a son right then and there. But God is trying to walk him into the maturity of his identity. You understand the difference? He calls you what you are long before he gets there. And he loves you so much that he'll actually help you get there. <laughs> he says, this is who you are, Kevin. And I'm like, Pfft. I have no idea how to get there. And he'll go, don't worry, I'm going to help you get there. This is how good he is. He doesn't say, here's who you are, now figure that out. Start acting like you are. <laughs> I may have to do that to myself a few times, but he doesn't do that. He'll actually take you there. He, David was a son, but God is going to teach him how to hold the dominion that he is going to give him. Dominion can only be held with character. You're already a son and a daughter. But God's going to lead you into that place where you can actually hold it and you can actually release it. The Bible says this, a man among who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who is six closer than a brother. This period of friendship that David went through, ready? Everybody say it with me. The vision, vision. was tested. Here's where most people fail, right here. We, we, we get the servant thing, obedience, 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 vision. I got people that are locked in obedience and proclaiming a vision. Locked in obedience and proclaiming a vision because they won't travel through the trials of friendship. Friendship is the season of trials where the vision is tested, where more is called out of you than you actually have. And people quit because what they are is they're so fixated with their own weakness that they cannot see the strength that's been made available to them. David goes from friendship and immediately enters a season where the vision is tested. He's under adversity for four, no, eight years. Eight years, man. The guy's on the run. He, say it with me, he loses everything. Every single thing. His family, his friendships, his relationships, he ends up with vagabonds. His friends are outcasts. His friends are the people nobody else wants. And David not only befriends those guys, he leads those guys, and when he comes into the kingdom, he elevates those guys. All of his old friendships were gone. And he wanted, and the people that became friends with him seemed to be a little less desirable than the friends that he had before. Like, you know, I don't know, man, I'm just... Used to hanging out with the PhDs, dude. You, you know, I don't, did you even make it through junior high? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Come on, you can laugh. It's funny. <laughs> he lost everything. And his former friends were gone. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. And, he had, and God brought him new friends. And David had a choice to either accept the new friends or reject them. But he embraced them. He embraced the outcasts and the vagabonds. And they became, those vagabonds and outcasts became known as David's mighty men. You understand that? And we get offended. Oh, Lord, I used to run around with the swells. I used to, I used to eat on the beach, and, and, and I used to be among, and I, man, I used to go to, you know, uh, to, to, to Aventura Mall, and I used to go to, um, you know, what is the other one? Bell Harbor. What was that store? They still have that, like, like, biscuit thing. I don't know. There's one of these department stores that has this, like, I'm sure you know what it is. <laughs> anyway, it's like where all, all the rich people go and eat there, and they eat this, like, anyway, What's it called? Yes, but they have this special thing that they, everybody goes there and eats. You probably, I, I know I've been there, I've eaten it, so I know it's there. But people go, I don't know what it's called. It was really valuable to me. I remember it so much. But anyway, but you know, you, we, we have this attitude that this isn't what I used to be. This is where I am. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. God will remove your stature and your position and your ideas and who you think you are, and he will reduce you to a form that he can mold. Most people fail at that point because they are unwilling to allow God to reduce them down to a substance that he can mold. And so they, keep, they just revert. They go back to Egypt. They go back to where they think they should belong. or They go back to all these different places. But they never allow God to strip the branches, to prune the branches of everything that's there in order that more fruit can come. He do, they don't allow it because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And they don't know that this is the way of the Lord. They think it's something else. But this is actually God's way. God's way is to take everything from you and who you think you were and build you into somebody else. I've had it happen to me many times. You guys hear me. I, I ask God for things. You should ask Jesus for some things. He said, I don't know what to ask him for. I'll give you, a, I'll give you another answer. 
Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what should I ask for? And just start letting me, and then all of a sudden you'll be driving down the road, and the Lord will go, ask me for this. And you go, can I do that? You know. But if you don't know what to ask for, say, Holy Spirit, what do I want? What should I ask for? He'll even show you what to ask for. Because he has more purpose in your destiny than you have in your own. He wants to get, he's like, you want to go there? Let's go. Let me show you. Let me tell you. Let me give you this. And it starts happening. <laughs> his vision would be tested. His trial would be trained. David got promoted early and he was rejected immediately. Try that on. God's with me. Boom. Hey, he's the anointed of God. Boom. We hate you. Get out of here. He lost everything he had ever known. He went through, here's a hard one, he went through a period of isolation. Nobody wanted to be with David. Nobody went around David. Spray body odor, when, or body spray, when they, they mentioned his name, they would hiss. Oh, David, yeah. He was lonely. He had to deal with his issues, and the pressure began to reveal David's issues. What happens when pressure is put upon us? Pressure brings out the gold. And pressure brings out the coal or brings out the dirt. And here again is where we fail. God will put you in environments that are beyond you, and you'll see something rise out of you that you'd never seen before. And you're going to go, wow, that's amazing. And then you'll see stuff come out of you that you didn't even know was there. And it's nice and ugly, right? And what we do is we kind of try to shove that under the rug, right? <laughs> what we're supposed to do is deal with our ugly and reinforce the good. God would show David where his problems were. He was doing the same thing with Saul, but Saul wouldn't listen. Saul wouldn't listen. Saul, Saul kept giving in to his own ego and giving in to his own vanity rather than humble himself and go, Lord, what do I do about that? I am egotistical. I am vain. You know, I, I am this. I am that. Whatever. You're right, Lord. Jesus is never wrong in case you ever question. Somebody's wrong between you and Jesus. It's not him, right? He's not the one that's wrong. <laughs> And he had to deal with it. So he had the vision, and he had the vision, and he was told to wait. This is David's journey. And then he had to go through a period of testing where he was tempted to quit. Anybody have a vision from God? Anybody feel like they have a purpose from God? If you don't, you need to get one. And you need to start. You say, I don't even know where to be in. Everybody say it with me. Holy Spirit, what is your vision for me? Uh -huh, yeah. Start there. Let him start showing you a vision. Taking the things that you want, give it to him. Lord, I'm giving you this. Refine this. Redu do, change this, what you need to change. Do what you need to do. He was tempted to quit. And there again, Bible says, they that draw back, my soul has no pleasure in you. If you think you're not going to be journey with the Lord and be tempted to quit, you're wrong. Somebody said this, the devil isn't going to give you a clean run at it, guys. He's not going to go, here's your future, and then you get a clean run on it. The enemy's going to try to cut you off at every pass, and he's going to give you every reason and every opportunity to quit. And the Bible tells us that's the only thing that can defeat us. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will, you will reap if you faint not. Victory is inevitable to the believer. You cannot lose, Christian, if you pursue and continue to pursue and continue to press towards what God has set before you and you do not quit. That's why the overriding temptation is on quitting. That's why. Because the enemy knows that's the only thing that can get you to quit. He's either going to get you to quit or he's going to discourage you and get you to stop, one or the other. Because quitting is the only thing that he does. Then we, we go through this period of anger, disillusionment, and disappointment. Right? Lord, you said I could have it. It's been, what, four years? We're more like four days. Lord, you said I could have it. It's been four hours, four minutes. When's that going to happen? And then we get angry. We get disillusioned. Okay? We get disappointed. And our disappointment is always related to our expectations. What you need to do is realize that disappointment and disillusionment is related to expectation. And if you feel that you're disappointed, disillusioned, or even angry, it's because you're, you're, you probably your, um, your perspective or your expectation is wrong. God's all about expectation. He loves expectation, but right expectation. You're expecting it to go like this. It went like that. You see it with John. John was disillusioned. John was in the jail, right? And he sends a message. Are you the one or do we look for another? He was completely confused. How could the guy who stood up and went, the winnowing fork is in his hand and he will purge the threshing floor. How could that guy, now all of a sudden he's in jail, he's being persecuted, now all of a sudden he's questioning everything. He's completely disillusioned. Because John's expectation was, of Jesus was different than the one that he was fulfilling. You understand? And Jesus told him back and he said, come back around, John. 
The blind see, the dead are raised, the lame are walking, and the good news are preached to the poor. And John was like, okay. But how did he get disillusioned? Because he had the wrong expectation. And we have to let God set our expectations. And a lot of times with our expectations, his expectation is greater than yours. And he can't even bring you into that until you get rid of yours. You gotta just say, Lord, what, what should I expect from this? Where should this go? How should this be? Where am I off on my expectations? It's, again, it's that relationship component that keeps coming up. So then he was shown to be weak and incapable. This is where the testing comes. You're gonna be revealed to be weak. Get married, you think you know what you're doing, you think you're a good man, you think you got this manhood thing zeroed, get married. You are gonna realize you are incapable. Women, you think you're feminine, you think you know how to run a marriage, you think you know how to run a home, you think all of these things, and you're gonna realize when you get married, you're incapable. And then when you and your husband start getting things figured out, then you get a glorious little gift called a baby, and then you realize you don't know what you're doing there either. Can I get a witness on that at least? You don't know what you're doing. Parents, we're just making it up as we go along. I know we act like we really know what we're doing, but we're, we're really not. And your parents did the same thing to you. They just kind of made it up as they went along. I mean, you're trying to follow principles and heart. I don't want to diminish it too much, but that's the point. But you're forced into the unknown. Next slide. The last anointing was Jerusalem. It was sonship and daughtership. And here's where David struggled. David didn't struggle along the way. This is what he struggled with. David struggled with abundance. David struggled when the promise came to pass. When everything God had told him was going to happen, happened. That's when he had a problem. And the reason that he had a problem was he didn't go further. It is the anointing of fullness. It is when God performs and does what he said he was going to do. This is where David left the reservation. God sets you in a position to obtain what he's promised. So God sets a word over you, gives you a vision, tells you to be faithful. Okay? You have to pursue the vision. Ready? Say it with me. Pursue the vision. Needs to be said, most Christians just camp. Pursue the vision, let God lead you through the vision, endure the difficulties because God has set something before you. He has told you this is the way it's going to be. And keep pursuing it, go through the trials, the difficulties, and then you will see that God has set you in an open door to fulfill what he has told you. But Jesus isn't going to bring you through that door. You understand that? What he does after all of this training is he sets you on a precipice and he sets before you the opportunity to obtain everything that he has promised. I had a friend of mine, my roommate, believing God for a wife, many years all in and around, my wife sits down with him, and after all these years, she goes, you mean to tell me, Troy, in all these years, God never brought you a wife? And he said, yeah, but I didn't want him. I didn't want that one. So God, he goes through all this trial, all this difficulty, and God sets him on the precipice of the opportunity to have what his heart desires, but Jesus didn't make him do it. He had to step through the door and take it. And because this thing was, well, God doesn't want me married. What? You've asked him, he's brought it, and you won't do it. Some of you, it's the same thing. Business opportunities. You're believing God for better jobs. But then he presents it. He brings you through all this trial, all this difficulty. You've endured it. Now he brings you to this point where you can go through, but you're too afraid. Well, I'm, I'm going to be insecure. I don't know if this is going to work. I, may, I might fail. This might not be the same thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? He will bring you to the point where it can give you the opportunity to step into what you've been asking, and it will be risky. It's risky. David, in order to take Jerusalem, now he's anointed king. God said, now go kill everybody. Go, 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 go vanquish all the enemies. All of the surrounding people that want to kill you, I want you to go and exert your authority over them. Was that risky? That was very risky. That's just a word. You, you pick up a sword and go and fight like that, Right? You know, well, God said I'm going to win, so, uh, you know, you still got to go and do it. It says the crucible and the furnace are for silver and gold. So God uses the crucible to bring out righteousness and bring out goodness out of us. But it says the people are tested by the praise of others. David could do no wrong. He was rock star. Oons, 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 oons. I mean, shades, fur coat. I mean, yeah, David was in the groove, man. Right? And he was tested with the praise of the people. And David felt that he was indulgent. He felt that he was entitled. He felt like there was nothing to be kept from him. And the truth was, ready? That was true, but not in the way that he understood it. He ends up taking Bathsheba, okay? And God told him when he took Bathsheba, he said, if, if, if I hadn't given you enough, David, I would have given you more. You see the difference? But David took it for himself. He empowered himself to take what he wanted when he wanted it. But the Lord said, 
You can have whatever you want, but I'm the source of it, David. If what you have right now isn't enough, I would have given you more. You should, somebody needs to write that on their mirror. Jesus will give me more. Amen. I don't need to take it from myself. The Lord will give me more. That's the difference. He went down the wrong lane. He, went, he pursued it for himself, and he became indulgent. He became self-empowered and self-engrossed. He believed his press. It was a testing of abundance. Can you stay faithful? Last slide. Let's pray. We're going to say this prayer together. You guys want to say a prayer together? Yes. So, I don't know, Kevin. You're really hitting me hard this morning. That's all right. Just say This is going to ease your pain right here. Stand to your feet if you would, please. We're just going to say a prayer. We're going to make a declaration in relationship to this. I want you to open your hearts. I want you to speak it to the Lord. Just say in Jesus' name, I will be faithful when no one is looking. I will honor and worship when no one sees. I seek the Lord's heart above all else. Father, teach me your heart and your ways. I will be faithful in the small things that I might be entrusted with greater things. I choose to set my life and my purposes towards the vision of God. I will endure the difficulties. I will not be afraid of my issues. I will deal with them. I will not fear my strength. I will refine it, and I will become a blessing to others. I will not now nor ever quit. I choose to be faithful in my abundance. Let's just say this. I will not cry when my harvest comes. I serve the Creator, not the creation. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to remove what you need to remove, to pull down what you need to pull down, and to develop what you need to develop so that my life would reflect the destiny that is promised. Do you believe it? Amen. Let me bless you. We'll have a prayer team available over there, but let me bless you. Just receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.